that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The verse that I just read to you is the verse that precedes the gospel reading this morning, the healing of the nobleman's son. And I think it gives us a little perspective because when you look at Jesus' answer to this poor guy, it seems a touch harsh. Come heal my son. Unless you people see miracles. You know, it just, it seems a little rough, doesn't it? You know, and there are places like that in the Bible. Jesus' response to his mother at the wedding of Canaan. Woman, what does that have to do with me? It requires a little bit of unpacking and it, you know, to fully understand it. This just understands, you just have to understand a little context. Okay? So Jesus went up to Jerusalem, flipped over some tables, did some miracles, signs, and wonders. The folks from Galilee, of course, being good Jews, went up to Jerusalem too, saw it, thought to themselves, my hometown boy. You know? Came back down. Okay? He didn't come back down immediately. He went into Samaria first. All right? The woman at the well. He does not do a single miracle in Samaria. And the whole city believed. Not one miracle. And these, you know, quasi-Jew, quasi-pagan, whatever they were, they fell down and worshipped him as the Lord of glory without seeing a miracle. He just told them the truth. They heard it. They believed it. They loved him. So he comes back to Galilee, and here they are, the crowd, you know, wanting to see more tricks, more magic tricks. Show us something cool. Wow, us, Jesus. You know, you can look into their hearts and see what they, what's on the inside, you know. And that's his exasperation at this man. Then the man comes, comes back at him and says, seriously, he says, sir, it's going to be translated, it's curiosity, Lord. Okay, well, that's a different change. That's changing, right? First... Come to my house, because I'm a royal official. Then, it's, Lord, my son is about to die. Okay, well, that's, that's begging for it. Okay. And Jesus says, your son will live, and he's moving on. Just like that. He didn't even wave his hand. He just said, your son will live. And then the man believed him and, and went on his way. Truth be told, that man would have, if Jesus was a witch doctor, he'd have gone to him. Right? I mean, their child was dying. How many of us wouldn't be tempted if we thought a witch doctor could save our child's life? Wouldn't go there. I'm not encouraging that. But, I mean, that's the desperation of a parent with a dying child. He'd gone anybody. Just happened to be Jesus. I want to take a moment and look at this man's faith journey. And we're going to take two swipes at it. The first is just kind of the look of, his, of his, the journey of faith. And we've already unpacked this a little bit already. He first he comes to Jesus uh, because he heard that this is a miracle worker. Nothing about the kingdom of heaven. Nothing about him being the Messiah, the Lord of glory, the second person of the Trinity. None of that. Just, you know, he can, he can do miracles. But then he changes his tune. And he calls him Lord. Fair enough. Jesus heals the boy. What does the man do when Jesus says, go, thy son will live? It says he believed him. More importantly, he turned on his heels and went back home. Now, he wanted Jesus to come with him. Come heal my son. But this is, so this is an amazing thing. Not only do we have 
uh, faith here, but we have hope, which could be translated as trust. And that's part of the journey. And we're going to swing back to that in a minute. But he goes. Now, while he's on his way back, the servants, the kid, you know, all of a sudden he gets better. And so they're like, oh, we got to get him before he makes a fool of himself in front of this, you know, vagabond fellow that's doing miracles, you know. So they're out to, to retrieve the nobleman. And they say, hey, your son, your son is, is better. And he says, well, when did he, when did he begin to amend? Okay. And this is a curious thing. He says, they say to him, at the seventh hour. Now that's very particular. There are a number of hours in the day of the, of, the, of, of the Jews at that time that had, you know, significance to them. The first hour, the sixth hour, which is noon, lunchtime, and sacrifices were made. Sacrifices were made at that hour. Well, the ninth hour has some significance. Uh, the twelfth hour has significance. The seventh hour has no significance whatsoever. You would not mark it no more than you mark one o'clock in the afternoon today. Do you really think to yourself, oh, it's one o'clock in the afternoon? Not unless you have a particular appointment, but you do kind of mark when you get up, and you do kind of mark noon, because we all eat lunch. Some of us do. And you mark, you know, six or whenever it is you eat dinner. But you really don't mark one. It's very peculiar. And what it speaks to is the fact that the son's fever left him at one. He didn't amend like his father said. They said, no, at one o'clock, it's gone. Seager's gone. The kid gets up, walks around, it's fine. He didn't get better. He was healed, miraculously. And he confirms that. He says, what time? And then it says that he and his entire household believed. His faith is confirmed. His faith is completed. Why is it completed? Because it overflows to others. His children believe. His wife believes. His servants believe. Both bond and free. The whole household believes. Everyone that's around him believes. Why? Because of the joy, the love, and the joy that overflows from that love. That's the first pass. That's the journey. That's that man's journey of faith. And you might find yourself in there. If you do, that's excellent. Hopefully you find yourself at the end of that. Okay, so there's another way of looking at this. And I, I like this as well. I did not think of this on my own. I actually got this from one of the church fathers. And he says, let's look at it from the, from the perspective of the theological virtues. So what are those? Faith. Hope and charity. Now, they're different than the cardinal virtues of justice, prudence, temperance, uh, and, um, and fortitude. Thank you. And a fortitude. You know, I got those all right at 8 o'clock, and I got them all right at the 9.30. Now, I would have gotten it right. <laughs> fortitude. The cardinal virtues, the virtues that, that all the other virtues hinge on. The virtues that cannot be subsumed other another one. All the other virtues are subsumed under those four categories. They come to us via Aristotle through Thomas Aquinas. And they are natural virtues. They are part of the human condition. They can be recognized by all men and they can be worked on by all men, though not perfected. But they can be worked on by all men of any faith, any religion whatsoever. They are important. They are good. And we should work on them. 
But the theological virtues are different. They are infused in us by the grace of God through the sacraments, through the word. The first time that 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 grace is infused into a little baby or an adult is when they are baptized and they are regenerated and the Holy Spirit enters into that person and infused in them is faith, hope, and charity. Now this man comes to him and he's got a little bit of faith. Scintilla of faith. And that's good. God starts with little things, you know, the mustard seed. It doesn't take a lot of faith, just a little bit. I look for that in anybody I talk to, just a little bit of faith, and we're good. I'm happy. We've got that faith. We can work on that. Next, we see hope. Now, you can interchange hope with trust. Hope in the theological virtue of hope is not, I hope I win the lottery. Okay? Or, or even some good thing. I hope she says yes to my marriage proposal. That's, that's not the theological virtue of hope. Hope is a certainty of things that will happen. Hope is the firm resolve that, I, that, you know, that heaven is true and that I will go there. That, that Christ will meet me on the other side. It's a great longing for heaven. That is our hope. We're going to circle back to that in a second. And then charity, love. It's not just simply giving things to people. We think of charity as a charity, right? A 503C or 503B. Charity is love. And so we see trust when the man believed and turned on his heels and went home. Though he wanted Jesus to come with him, he trusted him. There was his hope. And then the charitas, the charity, the love, is where it overflows in the man. And it spreads to all those around him. His heart is warmed so much that he can't help but his household to know this Jesus that saved him and his son. Now, sometimes, and I will say this of myself, my heart is not strangely warmed when I come in here or when I pray or just when I wake up in the morning or whenever it is. And I'm sure that's probably true of some of you as well, if not all of you, at least occasionally. And when that is the case, one needs to backtrack in one's life to take an inventory, to, to, to reflect upon your, your own heart and soul and figure out why it is that I am not filled with a strange, warm joy because of Jesus Christ in my life. Where did you, where did you lose your way? It's kind of like, have you ever lost your keys? I won't ask for a show of hands because I know everybody's lost their keys. What do you do? You trace your steps. If you don't know that, by the way, that's the solid advice right there. Okay? If you take nothing away from this, when you lose your keys, trace your steps. And you'll say, oh, thank you, preacher. I learned something. That's an illustration. But you, you trace your steps. You say, I walked into the house, and I went to this table, and then I did this, and I sat down here. You trace your steps. And so it is when you find yourself cold towards Christ. You trace your steps. 
Okay? You don't start there. Why, don't, why, am, why am I not in love with Jesus today? You go back. Why is it? Where is my hope? Is my hope in my comfort? If, if, if I mean, honest to goodness, folks, I, you know, I don't want bad things to happen to you, but truth be told, bad things happening to you is sometimes the best thing that can happen to you spiritually. Because then you fix your eyes on heaven because the world isn't so bright. Then I'm not so happy. And that's a good thing. When you look towards Christ and not the stuff, the comfort, the car, the house, the wife, the children, and they all love you, and that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you can't make that your idol, and that will suck the hope out of you, and it will destroy the love of Jesus. Or is it faith? Have you just really, you know, you look around, something you know, horrible happens, and you, and you begin to lose your faith. I've seen it happen. But whenever your heart is not warmed by the knowledge that Jesus loves you, I would beg you to trace your steps and ask yourself, where is the faith? Where is my hope? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.